Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Thank you for waving, guys. TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings coaches are uh, furiously trying to fix this last-placed defense. <laughs> you the Vikings coaches are furious. Uh, furiously? <laughs> well, maybe. They could be. Um, Kevin O'Connell might be, although he was... Uh, calm and measured in his very pointed remarks on Monday about what he wants to see out of this defense. He's not going to change Ed Donatel's responsibilities as far as play caller. We'll see if that changes, if nothing changes on Saturday against the Colts. We'll talk about that game. We'll talk about what's going on with this defense. We'll answer some of your questions. Um, but let's start with what O'Connell said Monday. Ben, you and I were on the Zoom call and O'Connell said, there's a lot we can change. There's a lot on the table, but uh, what did you think of what he said in terms of, as of right now, we're not going to change Ed Donatel's uh, play calling? Yes. I mean, that was the interesting thing there, and the thing we're all going to fixate on, is the fact that he said, as of right now. Now, that could have been a slip of the tongue, but Kevin O'Connell is generally fairly precise with his words um he's a guy that has a degree in communications and is fairly specific with words he chooses most of the time so um yeah it might have just been an offhanded thing but the fact that he said it as he did I, I think is worth keeping in mind because we got no sort of you know Ed Donatel's our guy there, there was none of that and what what that stuff means in the general context of of sports the the you know the the endorsement the um this is our guy we're planting our our flag in the ground behind this guy show of support i guess is the the phrase we typically use how much does that matter i mean in the in the end we see the people get those things and it doesn't work out but there was none of that and i think it's certainly worth watching how this goes now the other thing that's interesting from yesterday. Patrick Peterson was on KFAN, as he usually is on Mondays. Uh, they were out at the Toys for Tots event in Eden Prairie yesterday, and so he was on with Dan Barrero, and he talked quite a bit about, well, the play against Jamison Williams basically said Cam Bynum missed a check on that that basically had him playing the wrong coverage. And in general, he just said zone coverage – has holes all over the place. This is part of playing zone coverage. This is going to be part and parcel of this defense, that there's holes in it. You have to execute it more effectively and then probably get more pass rush with four guys in different ways, maybe sending guys different ways. He he proposed some of those things yesterday when he talked about it as well. But he's been very supportive of Donatel, very supportive of this scheme as a whole. I think hearing what he said, there are things that fall on players as he as he sees it that they need to change as well. Yeah, Mike, There's I think everybody's got opinions on um, what they can change on this defense, but the consistent one we keep hearing from, whether it's O'Connell or Patrick Peterson, is they need better pass rush. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, that's a fact. They, you know, I think at the beginning of the season, they were <clears throat> at least somewhat effectively rushing the pass. I still think you look at their sack numbers and they're not, they're kind of middle of the pack in sack numbers, but... You just look at pressures across the board. You look at recent weeks. Um, you know, Detroit did a really good job of shutting down anything they had going. Um, and their two premier pass rushers, there's Darius Smith and Daniil Hunter. And, you know, Darius Smith got off to a really good start this year, but he's got one sack in his last six games. Hunter just hasn't been 
all that effective this year. And I don't know whether that's teams scheming away for, you know, scheming to keep him out of games and keep, keep his, you know, impact down. If it's learning this new scheme, what it is, but yeah, they got to get a better pass rush. So, um, the, <clears throat> you know, the, the, not at this time or right about now, whatever, what it was that, that, uh, that, that O'Connell said, not as of right now, as of right now, um, that's, that's an interesting, uh, w- way of phrasing it. And it, it does, it does feel like, you know, you're a little bit of a. <clears throat> I think O'Connell's kind of in a tough spot because you only got four games left in the season. You're ten and three, so obviously, like he knows there's things that need to be fixed, but you're not going to just like blow this up. You you couldn't really blow up the scheme in any way, shape, or form at this point. Anyway, all you can do is try to improve on the scheme to a certain degree. You're not going to switch to a four three right now. You're not going to suddenly play things differently. I don't think a lot of four three pieces left. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but I'm just, just saying, for devil's like, advocate, there's a lot of the old guys here. If you were five and eight, I could see trying, you know, trying to gain some momentum for next year, but you know, I don't think you're just going to wholesale give up on everything you've been practicing since April or whenever they start to put pads on for the first time, May or June. But I do feel like there's a lot of things they need to do. And I think the two biggest things, like you said, are, pass rush which probably includes some more unpredictability from the blitzes and you know just having your corners play closer to the ball so that these completions aren't so easy they just they seem like they're very easy to play against and that shouldn't be the hallmark of a Kevin O'Connell team yeah I saw something on ESPN yesterday where Mina Kimes had a great bit about how insanity they keep playing off coverage and they're the worst in the NFL at it and how Goff was uh, 17 of 22 for 246 yards, three touchdowns against the Vikings off coverage. That's 11.2 yards per throw, uh, meaning that when he wasn't facing that, he was 10 for 17, 84 yards, no scores, 4.9 yards per throw. So the Vikings were able to play tight against Goff and have some success in some situations. When they played off, he was having anything he wanted against that defense. I, I am very curious as to why they're so committed to the off coverage. And I get it in the sense that you're trying not to give up stuff downfield, but they're giving those up they anyway. Are, they're giving up lots of explosive plays. I mean, if, if you were going to say, okay, they're giving up 10 yards of completion, that's an awfully high number in the off coverage stuff. But I think the counter would be if we can hold them to three, that's not perfect, but – in the modern NFL, maybe you say, we, we've got enough weapons. We've got Justin Jefferson. We could score enough points that if we hold you to three and we score seven, we're going to win. And we've seen them do that this year. Yeah, that, with, was the, that was the formula against the Jets. That was the Jets game, yeah. And and they have done that at other times where that's been how they've won games. But you're giving up enough of the long stuff, too, that none of, it is, none of it's working. I mean, you can't keep getting into these situations where – People get to midfield, and then it's it can either be bombs away, or we can pick our way down the field, whatever we want to do, because you can give it give it up either way. I, I think a lot of this is they're coaching in a way that would suggest they don't trust their corners downfield, and I I think there's probably good reason for a lot of that, but you have to change something. I mean, even just subtle adjustments in the scheme, play those those zones a little bit tighter. I, I think you can probably do that and get you noticed um in the detroit game without harrison smith they were trying to when they played a lot of the three deep stuff on the, the jameson touchdown yeah. stood out too yeah they would drop metellus not give him a deep responsibility that put cam dantzler in a lot of those spots and the lions killed him on the chark play where dj chark gets wide open on a 48 yard touchdown on that play that was the one of the only times in that game the vikings switched sides and put zadarius on panay sewell 
but Daniil Hunter on the left side. Zedarius gets the one-on-one on Sewell and still doesn't get much pressure, but it doesn't matter when you give up that runway. To your point about how they're still giving up the big plays, these big plays are happening fast. Yeah. It's not like it's a long-developing play action, let's have a deep crosser. It's, no, we're going to have a runway against your off, and we're just going to run right past Cam Dantzler. And, or run right past Cam Bynum, who misses a check. Or Kendrick Bourne, I think, ran past, who would it have been at the time? A Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth, I don't remember, yeah. in that Patriots game. Yeah. yeah. like um, It goes back to Quez Watkins in week two in the Philly game, just ran right past somebody super quick. And so the pass rush has no chance when it's happening that fast. And it's like, if you're O'Connell, when he says we want to be aggressive, I want to see us be more aggressive, be around the ball – Maybe challenge receivers too. Yeah. That just give the pass rush some time. Yeah, I, I think you you can still play zone from a press alignment if, if that's what you want to do. You can change some of the alignments of of doing things, but just something to throw off the timing because we've seen it with Cam Dantzler in the past. If you want to beat him, challenging his deep speed is generally a pretty good idea. I mean, we saw this the first game he ever played. Aaron Rodgers went after him to, to Marquez Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, say the name three times fast. We we have gotten out of practice because he's not in the division anymore. But they went after Dantzler right away in that game because they said, we don't trust your deep speed. And that has been part of the formula against him. And regardless of who you are, I mean, if you're Patrick Peterson in his prime, running 4-3-8 or something, maybe it's a different story. But when you are backpedaling against a receiver who knows where he's going and is going forward, that the the, the simple physics of that, you're not going to win a sprint race like that. So if if that's what these things turn into, and that was the chart play, it's basically what it was. I think I wrote that in my game story that this basically turned into a sprint. And the chart beat him because he's probably faster and he's got the advantage of I know where I'm going and I'm going forward. You at least are starting backward and then you have to turn your hips. That's not going to work. So, yeah, giving these guys at least something that makes the release a little harder to obtain I, that's worth trying, I think. I mean, you're, you're kind of at this point where you just throw things out there and see what works, but I, I think that's probably worth at least putting into the mix. And not letting these talented receivers that you're going to face, you know, get into the playoffs and you're back against C.D. Lamb or back against A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, you're, you're going to face really talented receiving cores that are going to be able to run past you if you let them get up to full speed. And this Vikings defense is so passive in the ways that it tries to defend. They are, and it's just, it, it makes you think they've just got to try something different, right? They've, they've got to bring some chaos. And I think if there's one <clears throat> criticism of Ed Donatel's defense, I mean, there's more than one, but if there's one really fair one, it's that the blitzes they do use don't seem like they're particularly well designed or getting home at this point. It doesn't seem like they kind of come from a lot of different places. Like maybe we maybe got spoiled because Mike Zimmer's blitzes were generally pretty good. They were pretty exotic. They were pretty well disguised you didn't know where people were coming from um <clears throat> but i wonder if that does come down to the trust factor because i was curious like donatel was defensive coordinator in denver for the three years prior to this they blitzed like 25 percent of the time under him in those three years in denver they're blitzing like 16 percent of the time here so they he did blitz more in denver maybe that was because he liked his personnel better that that might be the case uh certainly in denver i remember they've had a lot of impact uh defensive backs yeah. and and certainly good fronts too um but Maybe Donatel, when he got the full reins here, wanted to do things a certain way. Maybe he didn't want to blitz that much when Vic Fangio was making those calls um, in Denver at the time. But I do wonder moving forward here, as you look at this game on Saturday against the Colts, it seems to me that certain guys are playing for, or, you know, to keep their playing time because Daniel Hunter, for some reason, played a season low playing time, yeah. healthy against yeah. 
uh, against the Lions. Zadarius Smith was right there with him, playing just 64% of the snaps, although he's been battling an injury. Uh, guys could be playing for playing time if they're adjusting these things as they seem to be, and Ed Donatel might be playing to continue those those play calling duties. Yeah, coaching. I, I mean, there. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, this is sort of the the nexus of this season in the sense that they're ten and three, but there's a lot here. I mean, we talked about this I think last week. Quasi at the beginning of the season calls this a competitive rebuild. Baked into that language is an assumption that we're not quite there yet. So you have a lot of people, I think, that are fighting to be part of this thing going forward simply because I don't know that this was designed with the idea that this is the dawn of a five-year window where we expect to be championship contenders. Wide I, open I, spaces. No, I, I don't think it is. I, I mean, yeah, to use the wide open spaces, uh, what they're called the chicks now, right? They're not the Dixie chicks anymore, the chicks. I mean, Zim's a country guy. Maybe that's where he got that from. Um I almost started singing it, but I'm not going to do that because we don't need anybody. Nobody needs that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there is a little bit of skepticism, at least in the way this was designed, to think, okay, we this can last forever. That We're not going to need to make a lot of changes. And the finances of it simply put you in a spot where you're going to have to do that. So you mentioned some of these guys. Zadarius Smith, they have to make a decision on him after this year. And Daniil Hunter, it, it's not – quite the cap doesn't quite make it that easy but I think you're talking about two guys there where they're getting into the later 20s or early 30s in both of those cases and you have to decide do we want to continue to pay this guy like an elite pass rusher Daniel Hunter was on a pretty good run in November I think he had four sacks in in three yeah. games but the last two games I think he's got one quarterback hit I mean you mentioned it Andrew you know doing going through the film stuff he had a couple of pressures on Sunday I didn't think he had a bad game uh, and, and you were kind of saying the same before we started recording, but there is some frustration with him in the building right now in the sense that Zadarius Smith still gets a lot of the attention. Hunter should be in more favorable matchups and isn't winning enough to their liking. Now, you know maybe that's an unrealistic expectation, but we've seen this guy at his best, and he is on a very short list of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Maybe it's still adjusting to a new assignment, but he's got his hand down on, on in nickel stuff a fair amount, so it shouldn't be that different. It, it's uh, it's not been as dynamic as what we've seen from him at his best. Yeah, this Vikings defense is supposed to be really good, obviously, at getting to the quarterback and obvious passing downs, and they've been tested really only by three good offenses in the last five weeks because I'm just going to leave out the Patriots and Jets, even though they had success. It wasn't on third down. The Bills were 54% conversion against them. The Cowboys were 71% converted. And the Lions were 47% converted. <clears throat> yeah, so, Goff had a field day thrown on third down the other day. And so when they get in those passing situations, they can't cover. They're not rushing. Um, I wonder why they're using Daniil in certain ways. They're using him early in that game in Detroit. There was a third and 13. It was the one where Shannon Sullivan got flagged. Yeah. Where it was, it turned into a three-man rush because um, Hunter basically drove, gets engaged by the tight end fullback that's lined up in front of him. And instead of letting him release to the flat, he just kind of keeps driving him back toward the, the goal line as like he's even behind Goff, the quarterback, to the point where he's not looking at the quarterback. He's just off in his own thing, taking a one-on-one -on -one block as if he's on offense. And it, it sounds was like electric football, like <laughs> yeah, the old, where you have the two guys yeah. that just get it stuck and they just so kind of run off the play. It was so bizarre. And I'm thinking, okay, if he's coached to, to take that guy out of the flat, your coach is saying, all right, I'm going to take one of my best pass rushers yep. and just 
eliminate him on a fullback yep. and just say, okay, offense, you don't need to worry about him anymore on third and 13 because guess what? He took your fullback out. It makes no sense. And it's zone coverage where they're already all looking at the quarterback. They're all looking forward. You can't rally to a, a fullback in the flat. Like, yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. Like, the coverage style is not man where everyone's turned around and all of a sudden a little dump off is going to get you on third and long. Right. Like, people can rally and tackle, and Hunter, to take him out of that play for that, I can't imagine Daniil's doing that on his own volition. I'm just going to go take this guy out because no, he, he called me a name. He's experienced enough and intuitive <laughs> enough. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him make a lot of really intuitive plays over the years, especially in the run where it's he'll rally one way and see it's going the other way and flip his hips and goes, make, goes and makes the play. Yeah, and I didn't see that happen again the rest of the game, so maybe they just didn't go back to that on a third long and they faced a few more of them, but... Um, it's stuff like that where their answers are passive. He's dropping in coverage five times when he's on the field for 30 passing downs. He's rushing 25 times and playing a season-low playing percentage. If you're trying to get more out of him, you're not giving him a ton of chances, and you're doing it against Panay Sewell, who's probably the, one of the best right tackles in football. And watching him against Sewell, what did we like see Hunter do throughout the start of his career really, really well? It was like overpower guys. Yeah, put was, a long arm into him and get by. Yeah, it was like speed to power where he talked a lot about how I like to get re- uphill really quickly, get the tackle backpedaling, and then go right into him. Yep. He can't do that against Sewell, and he hasn't done that against a lot of people lately. And so I'm wondering, I haven't seen him win with speed very often, and I see him sometimes now trying to like fake offensive tackles out, like I'm going to drop in coverage and now I'm coming. It's like that's never been your game. That's not who you are. It seems like he's out of his element. And it seems like he's not comfortable uh, with all the different things he's being asked to do. Well, and I remember having that conversation with Andre Patterson early in his career. And obviously, Andre had a pretty instrumental role in Hunter's development, and Hunter still thinks very highly of him. One of the things he would tell him is stop trying to either dance around somebody or take the long way. He said, just put your long arm on him and power overpower him that way because you're, you're You've got strong hands. I mean, he's always had really violent hands. Put your arm into him, get by him, take the direct route to the quarterback, and you're either going to collapse the pocket if the tackle is with you or you're going to get by him and get a sack. Either way, you're affecting the quarterback. Yeah, the the rush style is certainly worth asking about and, and wondering about. You know, <clears throat> the other piece I'd say to all this is I think, A, they're paying a little bit right now for – a lack of investment in the defensive line over the years in terms of draft capital, especially at the ends. I mean, what Wanham was a third round pick, and they've gotten some so fourth round pick. They've got they've gotten some you know gotten some stuff out of him. Gotten he's he's been useful as kind of a you know third or fourth you know rush end or you know outside linebacker in this scheme. But they haven't done a whole lot to upgrade that group. I mean, Zadarius Smith obviously Im- impactful in free agency, but in terms of like adding that next great rusher. They haven't done that for a while. Think about last year. I mean, who, yeah. who was the big addition last year that helped the pass rush? Everson Griffin. Griffin. Yeah, it was. I know. And, you know, and, and the, the other piece of that is if we're looking at the back end, they did try to invest this year in, you know, in the, the secondary, and probably the three biggest impact players are hurt right now, Booth, Scene, and, and uh, Evans. So, you know, Booth and Scene, I don't know where they were quite with their development before they got hurt, so you can kind of wonder kind of about that in terms of you know, where they were at. But they've gotten very little help from their rookie class this year, which is another reason they're probably struggling right now. Well, and, and edge rushers are hard to just go acquire. Yes. I mean, Zadarius Smith is a unique example because the Packers were in a bad cap spot. And, and even then, he looked like he was going back to the Ravens, and then that fell through. So it's hard to get those guys, but they – 
to your point, they have not invested in that spot in the draft, no. and, and that goes back more to the and Spielman Zimmer years. They've had some chances, and Zimmer might have, have them to make some investments. Well, I, that <laughs> in in twenty twenty one, they yeah. they had the chance. They liked Jalen Phillips. They liked Quiddy Pay. Then they trade back. They got Christian Darrisaw out of it. And that yeah, looks like is, a really good no pick. That, yeah. But I know for a fact in that draft room that night. When they make that trade back, I mean, Zimmer joked afterwards about how he was going to take Rick's phone away. Yeah. But when those guys were going off the board, he was fired up. So, I mean, yes, there was they, – they've had the chances and, and haven't taken them. They've had other needs certainly too, but they have not invested a whole lot in that position over the last few years. I saw Jalen Phillips. I know they want Christian Derrissaw, but Jalen Phillips going in that draft too. Uh, after the Vikings traded back, he was making plays for was it the Dolphins yep. on Sunday night yep. in that game. I um, liked him a lot. Made me think of made me think of that draft. But you take a franchise left tackle like the yeah, Vikings. Yeah, you certainly would. Seem yes. to have. Yes. Um, the Minnesota Vikings expect both Christian Derrissaw and Garrett Bradbury back for Saturday's game against the Colts. Um, that is going to help this offense. And I don't imagine they're going to need to score too many points to outscore Jeff Saturday's Colts, Mike, even though this game is on a Saturday and his name is Jeff. <laughs> I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the Saturday element. But like I said, the, the Colts are 32nd in offensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. I mean, this this is like, you know, this is a chance to get well, but it's also it's like the double-edged sword. Like, if you can't stop Matt Ryan and the Colts, who, you know, really don't have much to play for, they're playing for draft picks right now, They're they're trying to – to you know to to get their for next franchise quarterback like they if you can't stop them even if this is a win but it's an ugly win if it's like a 30 to 27 kind of game where you still give up 400 yards or close to it those questions about the defense are going to persist and they're only going to get louder like you can still keep winning but at a certain point the defense is going to cost you if it's keep if it keeps playing this way yeah and it's a good thing that the vikings are getting those offensive linemen back for this game though because the toughest matchup on the colts is that defensive front deforest buckner's still there old friend yannick Ngakwe is there leading the team in sacks with eight and a half afadi odenabo has two and a half sacks for the colts um and they've also got quitty pay a former first round pick on that front so they're going to need to protect kirk cousins because I don't think Kirk Cousins can keep taking the shots that he's been taking. No, I mean it, it every week, man. It's like you sit there and think, how many more times can they do this? And and Justin Jefferson's taken some some licks as well, and it's that's part of the job. I mean, he's had to make a lot of contested catches, and he's got a lot of coverage around him, so you're going to get hit. But if they were to lose either of those guys, like good night, it's over. I mean, Jefferson or Cousins, you cannot afford to lose either one of them. So. Yeah, that certainly does become an issue. This could be – I was just thinking about this as you were talking about the – the uh, if they were not able to stop the Colts' offense. What a weird kind of confluence of things Saturday could be. If they win the division for the first time in five years, they're at home, they're able to clinch at home, but it's another one of these ugly wins following a loss to the Lions. It's like – it's kind of this – intersection of the two thoughts everybody's had about this season of hey they're winning this is really exciting this is different than it's been and are they really this good so uh, it could be a very weird kind of juxtaposition of things on Saturday if they clinch but do it in a way that reinforces a lot of these doubts people have had 
Mike, the last time a Colts team that wasn't that good came in, or last time a Colts team at all came into U.S. Bank Stadium in December, it didn't end very well. No. Right. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was too busy uh, looking up stuff on Pro Football Reference while you guys were talking. They've not drafted a defensive lineman in the first or second round since Sharif Floyd, and they've not drafted a defensive end in the first or second round since Erasmus James in 2005. Erasmus James. So. That was a bad. Uh, that was a bad draft. Troy Limson at seven, Erasmus James at eighteen. That was not a good Aaron draft. Aaron Rodgers at twenty-five. Yeah, that was coming off of a Dante going. I was coming off of Dante being yeah, MVP level. It so was MVP runner anyway, up. But if they would have known that he was going to tear yes. his knee and rip out. Anyway, that's the, everybody saying. goes with that. But, but yeah, Dante was coming I off think, a great year. I think they were victims of their own mid-round success, kind of like what happened with the offensive line at a certain point. They had, they got Robinson in the fourth round. They got Everson Griffin in the fourth round. They got Hunter in the third round. They convinced themselves that they could keep doing it, and they just haven't. The Colts' point is a good one. Yeah, that did not go well, right? Which what, what game was that? Sixteen. What they lose? Like that was the year the tight ends just ran wild on them. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of guys you never heard of came in on base and ran at Chad Greenway. <laughs> Scored all their. Everybody had their first touchdown of their career against the Vikings that day. Eric Swoop, um, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you remember that name? Yeah, yeah Eric Swoop. Well, that game because that was the game <laughs> that Adrian came back. Yes, that's right. And Adrian yeah. had basically said, I'm not playing unless we're in it. And they, that were, did not sit well. Yeah. So he goes out, plays in the game. I think, did he fumble he early? Did, yes. I and then gets did, hurt yes. again. And then yes. I, I think basically said, well, we kind of still have a chance, but I'm going to shut it down. And then they go to Green Bay the next week, and that was the, the mutiny uh, on the Fox River. That was the, uh, switch, yeah, the switching yep. of the defense. Yeah, Rogue game. One Series, take your pick. <laughs> I remember that Col- what a Col- what, Colts before a Christmas Eve game. What a uh, what a flashback yeah. that is. I remember the Colts game that year for our photographer Carlos, who happened to be in the rafters directly above the field when Linval Joseph desperately tried to dive over the line to block a field goal, uh, or as an extra point. It was a kick on the end zone, and we had a photo running on the cover of that story of Linval, like, doubled over, and it's directly from above, like, uh, eagle eye, directly above him, and Linval's, like, doubled over, and it's one of the best photos I've seen. Was Carlos up there, or did he just have yeah, a camera he, up there? he was up there. Oh, was, sorry, I thought you can get up there. Isn't there, like, a walkway? There, I think there is. Oh, Those I, maybe he set a man. camera. He, he might have set probably, a camera. He likes to put cameras places. Yeah, My he bad. does. He, he must have set one up. I, I think that's probably Ooh. what they did, but... And Carlos, it, neither would really surprise me. I thought you could walk Final up. Final score of that game was thirty-four to six. Yep, yep. Ooh. It was not good. Offense got two hundred and eighty-two yards. Defense gave up four eleven. Not good. Not good. Four eleven, by the way, was the uh, most. Well, that was the most yards they gave up all season that year. What record were the Colts that year? Uh, like when they were coming in, not you, good. Let's let me find. Because it. it was yeah, luck was beat up. I think he might have missed some games well, that the year. Colts finished eight and eight that year, so they weren't terrible. But they came, they came into that game six and seven. The Vikings came in seven and six. The other thing I Vikings remember needed, about that Vikings needed that one to be yeah, the playoff. Next yeah, they did. Uh, the other thing I remember about that game is it was colder that day than the Blair Walsh game. I remember walking into the stadium; it was ungodly cold. As we walked, I mean, like eyes watering coming from the parking lot. I, one of the coldest days I can ever remember in Minnesota. So it was one of those days where it's like, this is, it was the first year at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's like, it's not a bad day to be inside. Vikings opened, or Vikings were five-point favorites at kickoff, yeah. by the way. I think it was like eight below. If, if it had been outside, it would have been one of the coldest games in NFL history. 
the Vikings are only four-point favorites on Saturday. Is that true? That yeah, that's true. Right. I think it opened at five and a half, and it's down to four. So, interesting. The Sharps do not like the Vikings. I think that's. I still think that's a disrespectful line. I think the Vikings win this game. I don't know if we want to transition to talking about the game itself. I just think <clears throat> they're at home. The Colts are not good. Um, this seems like the kind of offense they should be able to handle unless Taylor runs wild, which is which is certainly possible. Um, Jonathan but, Taylor running wild in Minneapolis? Yeah, that's definitely happened before. But it, if you can't stop Matt Ryan, like just pack it up and go home, I guess, or do something just ridiculously and bring in Mike Patton. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is if they can't stop Matt Ryan, but it's, it's got to be something. The Colts' defense and Jonathan Taylor are the only reason they've been in games since Jeff Saturday took over. Uh, Matt Ryan, for some reason, was throwing 50 passes a game at points uh, under Frank Reich. And this offensive line for Indianapolis has not been as good as it was in the past, like everybody thought it would be when Matt Ryan was traded there. And Matt Ryan committed four turnovers in their loss against the Cowboys before their bye week last week to the point where Jeff Saturday had to come out and announce Matt Ryan was still their starter going into this game. So, no, Matt Ryan's not playing well. He's thrown 13 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. If you stop Jonathan Taylor... You should you should win this game. You should. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Who knows? That, Who knows? That 2016 game was 20. Wow. Uh, the Colts. You talk about get right game. The Colts have committed a league worst 26 turnovers this season. So the Vikings like to steal the ball when they're playing well on defense. They should have a lot of opportunities on Sunday. Let's get to some questions before we break here. Uh, let's start with Vikes fan. He wants our prediction for the final four games. He doesn't care the about the playoffs. Who cares? What do you think is going to happen in the final four games of the regular season? What is their record? Uh, and oh, actually, he does ask, do you think then it's a first round or second round playoff loss? <laughs> so he's he's taking the negative side of things. He's feeling it right now, but he wants to know how do they finish this season? I, I would imagine they finish at least three and one. I will say the two and the three is a big deal in the sense that it dictates whether your second playoff game would be at home. So, yeah, it's going to be them and the 49ers, and I, I think you'd much rather be at home than have to fly out to California. We would not mind flying out to California in the middle of January, but nobody's uh, basing it on that. So, yeah, I think they win this one. Um I think they'll win at least one of the last two against the Packers and Bears. And then the Giants, I think they should beat. That's an interesting one because I think right now, that's a wild card weekend preview, is it not? Wouldn't that be the, the matchup right now? Giants at Vikings round one? I believe so. I believe the Giants are the six. Let me double check seven that. Right now. Let me double check it. Sorry, seven. Yep, Giants are the seven. Washington, by virtue of that tie against the Giants, are the six. Yeah, and they play again. So... That'll that'll dictate things. Maybe it's maybe it's the Lions coming in here in round one. It's the team that nobody wants to play. Yeah, the the pool of teams you're looking to face uh, most likely if you're the Vikings um, or not looking to face, but just are going to face because it's not going to be Dallas with Tampa stuck in that four seed. Uh, and Dallas obviously the five seed. It's Washington, Giants, Seattle, or Detroit. Yeah, so Giants, Commies, Seahawks, Lions. So yeah, Detroit coming back. I saw their safety Deshaun Elliott, Deshaun Elliott. I'm not sure I pronounces it. Told the Detroit Free Press that uh, we welcome that rematch if we make the playoffs because we're the better team. So, I'm sure well, they would not be afraid of it. They should have won when they were in here in October. Yeah, they should. It was 24-14 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they Matt Campbell or Dan Campbell. Uh, 
doesn't go for it. How's yeah. this for a stat? I didn't know this, and it's obvious when you think on it. Um, the Vikings led for a total of 45 seconds yeah. against the Lions yep. in these two games. That's that's ridiculous. The last 45 seconds in that first one. Yeah, that was that was it. So, punter in that Colts Vikings team in 2016 was Pat McAfee. Was it really? <laughs> really? Yes, it was. Oh man! Is there a Randall blog coming on this? No, I'm just you sent me down a rabbit hole. I just, <clears throat> That's fun. There, there could be a blog to do on that game. That was the last time we saw Adrian Peterson in purple. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Nick asked, "Do you think they'll be resting starters against the Bears?" I want to tweak that question to be: When we're talking about the two to three seed, would they play starters? You think just to keep the 49ers at bay in that final week? I was sort of planning to ask O'Connell that question this week, but I was expecting they'd win last Sunday, and that we'd be sort of talking about these things. I. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think that you'd try to do whatever you can for seeding. It's different if you're playing for a bye, which they would not be. Um, I don't like this format, by the way. No. I mean, I, I think being the two seed should have a little more reward to it than that. Um, when they inevitably go to eight playoff yeah. teams, what's it gonna? how are they going to do that? I don't think you can have two byes, though. No, you can't. So what are you going to do? Unless you have a double bye. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think they. Do. I don't think they would do that. I. I think you, maybe you get rid of all buys and then it's you just one, eight, two, seven, have, like every other league is. Yeah, you can have a double buy because then you end up with five teams. Yeah. Right, you'd have three winners out of the weekend with two buys. No, you could have you could one like, team gets a double buy. You could do it like the. Oh, w- I'm sorry. You could okay. do it like the gotcha. WNBA. Where two but then you have three left. That doesn't two, work either. You have two teams with a double buy and two teams with a single buy. So all the division winners get a buy. The top two division winners get two. Oh, buys. okay. Yeah, uh, doesn't that take too long? Yeah, it takes a long time. Yeah, it does. I mean, the NFL probably does not mind it taking longer, but yeah, another, I wonder another if weekend t- of selling advertisements. And Super beer. duper wild card weekend. Right. No, they wouldn't mind, but I, I I don't know if the teams would love that. All right, let's move on to another question here. Um, no, Lang, we have not figured out the NFL's playoff format. Lang, We're moving on. We have not. Moving on. Lang wants to know: Is Kirk getting on a hot streak? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 he wasn't great against the Jets, but these last two, of the last three, he's looked awfully good. I mean, against the Patriots, he looked awfully good, and I, I thought Sunday, and I think I said this to, I, I think I said it to Kevin Seifert in the press box that I don't know what more anybody wants from him because that's a game where your line isn't protecting you terribly well. You're missing two starters. You're down to a team that has thrown it all over your defense. You're getting hit on every play. They're covering Justin Jefferson with two guys a lot of times. They're covering him physically. And he still is making all the throws that you need him to make and getting hit, doing it, making tough throws, putting the ball where he needs to do it, throwing it downfield with accuracy, putting some some speed behind the ball. I mean, I, I'm not sure what else. You know, we talk about these games where great quarterbacks elevate and make up for the shortcomings around them. People are not going to give him the credit for that because they didn't win it, and that's going to go into the well. Yeah, he is not really a winner. Um, I don't. I'm not sure what else you would have wanted from him on Sunday beyond what he did. No, they just couldn't get him the ball back with a chance to actually go tie the game. Like he got him within two scores, or got him within one score a couple times. You know, got him to 21-13 and got him again to 31-23. And I still don't understand why they went for two, by the way. But that's that's kind of water under the bridge. Analytics say go for two, because <clears throat> yeah. then you know what you need the second time. Sure, uh, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, momentum. That's, that's the momentum says kick the extra point with your ultra reliable. There has been a lot of documentation on why that's the right call, and I'm not smart enough to understand it. But yeah, in that moment, Adam Thiel and I was on K fans listening to him um, when we were at that event before talking to him afterward, and and he had mentioned that when he came to the sideline after going for two there, he was curious. He asked coach, he's like, was that an analytics thing? <laughs> and you got players walking yeah. up being like, what are we doing? Well, and I, I, I think <laughs> the theory of it is two things. Number one, if you even if you miss it, you know what you need the second time. I, yeah, I think the I main that. the main principle is you're not trying to win – or you're, sorry, you're not trying to tie the game. You're trying to win the game. And 14 points puts you in overtime – and then you're putting all these other things back in the mix. Is our defense going to get a stop? I mean, I, I think you saw that somewhat in the onside kick decision too. Of I don't know that we trust our defense to get a stop. So some of the thought is we don't need 14 points. We need 15 if you're trying to win the game in regulation, knowing that overtime is a coin flip proposition. So I think you're betting on the odds that we are going to make one of our two two-point conversions are good enough to try it here. And if we get it, bonus, the odds of making a two-point conversion versus the odds of winning in overtime, too, are favorable in that sense. And if you miss it, like I say, you know the second time what you need. Yeah, it has to do with the 50-50 proposition of getting two. Then the odds say you're going to get it one of those two times. And if you go for it twice, maybe you're going to go ahead and get it both times as well. But if you get it that first time, then it sets you up to win the game on the second kick with an extra point. And NFL time. overtime is scurry enough that the idea of, well, let's just play to go to overtime. You know, coin tosses play into those things. And I, I don't know that I would bank on if we get to overtime, it's automatic that we're going to win. I just found it interesting that, yeah, you got veteran players asking that. It's the same stuff that fans are asking like in, in media, like what's what's the reasoning behind that? But the Vikings are not the only team to do that in those spots. A lot more teams are catching on uh, to that. We're going to see that done more often, I think, as, as this stuff continues uh, to get studied and spread and understand the probabilities of it. It's probably a Ryan Cordell telling O'Connell, Hey, this is why we should do this ahead yeah, of time. Yeah, like, logically it makes sense. It always just feels like maybe some of it's when it doesn't work, it looks bad, and on some of it's just the momentum of it also strikes me as a. I oh, mean, you you worked so hard to get to that point, and then you give Detroit the momentum right back. But you know, again, some of it's hindsight, second guessing. All right. Well, we analytics will s- does not. Be- one last point on this: analytics. I don't agree with this necessarily, but analytics does not believe in momentum. Yeah, like I do. They, they, I do too. But that, if we're having a conversation on the basis of provable data, yeah, uh, analytics people would say momentum is not real. I don't necessarily agree with that. They never played the game. Well, Jeff Saturday played the game, and we're going to see Jeff Saturday on Saturday at U.S. Bank Stadium. That's where we'll talk to you next time when the Vikings take on the Colts to see if they can wrap up the NFC North. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out startribune.com for all of our work.